Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show where you will learn how to get fiscally fit. We're talking about money management and investment strategies. My first guests are father-daughter team, Phil Town and Danielle Town. This interview originally aired in April of 2018. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about our finances, financial fitness, and my first guest is Danielle Town, and she is the co-author of Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind, My Emotions, and My Money with a little help from my dad. Danielle Town is a corporate attorney with degrees in religion from Wellesley and Oxford and law from NYU and the University of Colorado. After pushing her dad, Phil Town, to collaborate with her on their podcast, Invest Ed, the rule number one podcast, so she could learn about investing in an interactive way alongside fans. She feels the fog has been cleared and she can make her own financial and investing decisions. Talking about investing with her dad empowered her to invest on her own, clearing the way for her to live a happier, richer life. And I'm so excited to talk with you this morning, Danielle, because we know that there is a complete relationship between money and happiness, but not in the ways that many people think. I agree. Thank you for having me, Lisa. I couldn't agree more that there's a relationship between money and happiness, but people often think about it negatively. People often think, oh, you know, money can't buy happiness. Like money and happiness are completely separate and happiness should have nothing to do with material things. Now, I agree with that in theory, but in practice, what money can buy assists us in getting to happiness. It can make life a lot easier. It can literally give us choices in our lives. What would make a lot of us happier is to simply have a choice of what kind of job to choose, or maybe to work a little bit less, maybe to work part-time, maybe to have reliable childcare for your kids, maybe to make sure that you don't wake up at night worrying about the bills or the student loans or the mortgage. Those things feel a lot like happiness to me. And money buys those things. So I don't think it's a connection that we should ignore. I don't I don't either. And and the research really bears that out. You know, that there is a certain number in America that is believed to afford people some their, all of their basic needs and some opportunity um, for investment and, and saving for the future. And I think that that's really what we're talking about, that um, money buys us opportunity. It doesn't buy us the, the sort of inner peace and happiness that comes from connection and these good intimate relationships that we make in our lives, but it does provide us a strategy for opportunity, which in turn supports that happiness. 
Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I love the way you say it buys us opportunity because I see it a lot like health. Same as with health. When you have it, you don't notice it. But when you don't have your health, that takes over your entire life. Same with money. When you have it, you don't even notice it. It's just you move on to the other stuff that's really going to make you happy. But when you don't have it, it takes over your life and your thoughts and your focus, and it's all you can deal with. So we just want to remove that impediment to happiness so that we can move on to the real stuff. So talk a little bit about your resistance to investing for so long, because you uh, were off on a different career path early on in your life, and you resisted this. And, And then with direct access to your dad, who is quite a guru in this field, you kind of softened. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if anybody should have known about investing and about what to do with your money, it should have been me, right? Like I had this dad who has written two books about investing, who talked to me about it when I was a kid, and I avoided it completely. So there are a couple of reasons for that. One, I just was generally terrible with numbers. I still am, honestly. And it doesn't come easily to me. So the stuff he, and his language is numbers, by the way. So he would tell me constantly all this information using numbers and spreadsheets and financial statements. And it just made my eyes glaze over and still does. (laughs) Secondly, I was just afraid of losing money in the market. I mean, the market seems to be this sort of behemoth that moves up and down irrationally and without any sort of connection to anything that I could figure out. And I lived through two recessions. I graduated from college in the first one. I graduated from college in the second one. And I went through the dot-com boom. Like This market just seems kind of nuts to me. So I was really afraid of getting into it at all when I didn't understand it. So that was the first step that really got me into this investing thing was learning how to understand the market as somebody who's not great with numbers and finding a way that worked for me. And then the last thing that really kept me from doing it, which I didn't even truthfully understand until I got into it, was that I had all these old emotions around money, all this old crap that I really hadn't dealt with at all. And it specifically dealt with my dad. And I didn't understand that until we had been working together on investing stuff for maybe six months or so. And I still just couldn't see myself as an investor. And I really just probed deep and tried to figure out why that was. And I realized it was because I didn't really trust him, which is insane because he is a very well-respected investor in the community, as you as you mentioned. And so I realized it went back finally to when I was a kid, to my parents' divorce and what happened with the money in that whole process, which was that the money left. The money left with my dad. He came back and we now have a really good relationship, but that old wound, those old scars from when I was a kid hadn't gone away. And I think so many of us go through that stuff and it's so painful that we choose not to think about it, often unconsciously. And it's it's keeping us from that financial freedom that is so important to our happiness. So I hope that we will start to talk about it more. I think you bring up something that is so important that many of us have money trauma because it goes back to sort of a a childhood wound, which taps back into that 
whole security thing, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, of having Mm -hmm. security and safety. And it's interesting that your book, the book we're talking about today, Invested, um, really addresses some of this idea of kind of getting over it and moving beyond so anybody can successfully learn to invest their money, but and yet confronting why we are so afraid of it. Exactly. We had to get into it in this book. It's not like any other investing book that I know about because it can, like, by the end of the book, you will know how to invest on your own. And that's wonderful. But to me, really, the point of this book is the story of my dad and I, the story that I went through of the emotional journey from knowing nothing about investing to getting into it, to finding a way to be interested, to dealing with all this emotional stuff. I mean, money to us, it's a really fascinating thing because it's so connected to our worth and our value literally to other people in terms of how much do we actually get paid? How much can we actually give to our children, to our parents, to charities, to our church or our synagogue? How much are we dependent on somebody else? I mean, this involves so many different kinds of relationships that we have, including romantic relationships between a husband and a wife. Money is often said to be the number one cause of divorce. So money and emotions around it are very difficult. And yet it's so painful that we often don't even delve into it. So I think a beautiful thing about this investing practice that I've been going through which is how I see it. I see it as a practice, as a journey. And the journey and the process and the experience to me is more important than the goal. And the goal is, you know, a nice side effect. Like it's, I need to have money and that's a really good thing. But the beautiful part has been going through all this emotional stuff, becoming free from those old wounds, from that old trauma and seeing how, Learning about investing has opened up this whole world to me of seeing companies around me and the value that they provide and realizing that my money can actually help them and support them and be useful to other people. It's a rather extraordinary, extraordinary process. You know, you, I think you said something that is very interesting um, that people, people often overlook, that when we make decisions to invest... Um, sometimes we're told, oh, we should invest in this or that because it's going to go big. And we, and we often overlook the things that resonate for us personally, the products that we use, mm-hmm. the initiatives that we're interested in. You know, do we, uh, are we, are we really focused on, um, alternative energy sources? Do we want to be involved with artificial intelligence? Are we interested in space travel? And when we begin to look at it from that creative perspective, it can shift not only our interest, but our result. It changes everything. And what drives me crazy is when people act and talk as though investing in those kinds of things that you just mentioned, investing in really wonderful, worthy goals, companies that are out to change the world that we want to support, that in order to do that, you actually have to take a hit to your returns. I don't agree with that at all. I think that from a consciously capitalist perspective, we can choose wonderful companies that are doing wonderful things in the world that are going to grow because of that, not in spite of that. I agree. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we will carry on the conversation with my guest today. 
Danielle Town, we're talking about her book, Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind, My Emotions, and My Money with a little help from my dad, and that dad is the well-known Phil Town. To learn more about Danielle's work, please visit DanielleTown.com. On Twitter, she is at Danielle underscore Town, and on Facebook, she can be found at Danielle Town Invested. Here comes that pause. We'll be right back to continue the conversation with Phil Town and Danielle Town. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we're back, continuing the conversation with Phil Town and Danielle Town that originally aired in April of 2018. We're talking about what it takes to get fiscally fit, money management, and investment strategies. Let's get back to it. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about financial fitness with my guest today, Danielle Town. Her book is Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind, My Emotions, and My Money with a little help from my dad, and Danielle's dad is Phil Town. So, Danielle, prior to the break, we were talking about, you know, healing wounds around money. But I want to sort of redirect the conversation to teaching millennials about investing, because oftentimes um, the millennials are coming from an experience that is very different than their parents and their grandparents. I agree. I mean, so many of my friends just have no interest in anything to do with what I call the financial industrial complex, because it just seems like this <laughs> Death Star-ish kind of uh, terrible behemoth that we want nothing to do with. And on, on top of that, the idea of retirement really isn't all that interesting to us. I mean, I personally want to have a really good life right now. I don't really yeah. want to kill myself now in order for me to be able to be on the golf course in 50 years. So I'm interested in what I can do now. And I don't think that the financial industry is meeting that need at all. And because of that, we just don't know anything about financial stuff. I mean, when I started this whole thing, one of my good friends came into my office, shut the door and very quietly, and this is somebody who I would think would know about a lot of business stuff. Um, and he said to me, Danielle, I just don't know and he said it quietly like this, like it, like it was a secret. I just don't know what to do with money. Can you tell me what to do with my money? Because I have all these people telling me and I don't know who to believe. And I mm. thought, oh my gosh, if this person doesn't even know, then none of us know. And it's And it's like a terrible thing to say that out loud because we feel like we should know. So there's so much shame around not knowing stuff about money and about the markets and about financial stuff that we just don't ask. And we go ahead and pay the fees that the financial industrial complex demands of us, which is bad for us in the future. So I have found investing, the practice of investing right now, today, to be such a good addition to my life in a way I never expected. I was shocked that I enjoyed this at all. And the benefit of it is that I'll make money down the line, but the real benefit 
is what it's giving me every day now. And I think for millennials, that's what we need to hear about. How is it going to help us right now? It's interesting. You talk about the, the sort of the millennial um, thought process. You know, I have two kids. I have millennial, and um, they look at the financial fitness of their parents and their grandparents, and and there's a lot of fear, right? Because the grandparents saved every dime they ever made for retirement. Many lost a good portion of that retirement in the most recent recession. Then they see their parents who adopted a little bit of a different investment strategy, put it all in real estate, and when when the market went south, the the, the loss of stability and finances um, happened. And then here they are beginning their financial lives and their investment careers, and they're opting, believe it or not, I gifted my kids um, stockpile for the holidays. And these kids have really taken off with investing. I mean, they're putting little bits of money, $25 here, $50 there, but they're investing in what they like, which is very cool. God, that's awesome. That's so cool. And that's exactly what we should be doing. That's so smart because you're right. We saw our grandparents lose their money. Then we saw our parents lose lose their money. And what it taught me is don't trust any of this stuff. And from there, I just did nothing. I mean, my plan was to just save my money under my mattress. And it wasn't until my dad told me about inflation. By the way, if you don't know, I mean, we all know about inflation, right? So I'm going to say something that a lot of people don't want to say because <laughs> they're afraid of sounding dumb, but I don't care. So I'll just say it. So inflation, it turns out, and I didn't know this, makes the value of our savings go down every year at the rate of inflation without us doing anything at all. So what yeah. that means is that my money is losing its value without me doing anything wrong, which blows my mind. How can that be? But it is. And so what that means is that in order to simply stay even, not even to make money, but just to stay even and keep the buying power of my money, I have to do investing. And I have to make, uh, inflation is an average of 3% per year, roughly. So I have to make 3% per year just to stay even. That blows me away. Nobody ever told me that. My dad claims that he did, but I will tell you right now, he did not tell me that until a couple (laughs) of years ago when we first started this whole journey. So once I found that out and I realized I had to do something, then I had to get interested and I realized that I really needed to spend a little time learning because I don't trust all these other people for all the reasons you just pointed out. It takes me a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, and some, frankly, enjoyable learning to understand the basics of the financial markets and of how to choose a company. And now that I have that knowledge, nobody can take it away from me. And I now know how to evaluate companies and funds so that I can deploy my money responsibly in the future. So I think that's how we have to handle this. I think we have to take the power back and take the responsibility for our money, putting our money into wonderful companies that we support and do it ourselves. I I agree. And it's funny you talk about the hiding the money under the mattress thing. Well, that goes back to our great-grandparents, my great-grandparents' mentality. You know, like you put your pennies under the mattress and save them for a rainy day. And what you're really yeah. um, a- advocating for is to get passionate about 
products, to get passionate about companies, do your research, investigate, start small maybe, be willing to risk the loss if you're starting uh, with a small amount of money. There will be some, there will be some disappointments. That's just the way it goes, right? But you learn that way. There may be. I mean, my dad's rule from Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett says rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. So I work out my whole life also. And I've always kind of been like, all right, like I roll on that one. Like, yeah, don't lose money. But what he means by that is you don't deploy money until you are so confident about that company that you're willing to put your hard-earned money into it to support it. So yes, like of course, there are always things that could happen that we can't predict that might cause the stock market to crash. But if we've done our work and if we've chosen a wonderful company with great values, it's, that company is going to come bouncing back. Now, it might take a little bit of time, but that money is going to come back. And the losses until you sell are only paper losses. They don't actually yeah. count. So as long as you're holding it, and as long as you're confident in that company, you're going to be okay. I think you brought up a very, very good point, is the paper losses scare people. They bail. They, 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 they mm. sell too quickly. And then they really are sitting with a real loss. So the, the investment for the long term, being willing to ride it out and know that their cycles are really important. Um, in an investment strategy. That's so true. And what makes people bail when they're seeing those paper losses? And by the way, what paper losses means is just that the price has gone down on something you own. When people see that, we panic. I mean, it's terrifying. Yes. Of course we do. This is a completely natural response. I don't mean to say that it's unexpected. It's expected. And so part of my investing practice has been actually practicing that kind of emotion because I know I'm going to feel it. And I actually went, I was so afraid of just buying, buying a share, buying a company that I went and practiced that. I bought a small amount of a company and went through this massive emo emotional roller coaster of First of all, I bought it at the wrong time. The market wasn't even open. Then it opened. I bought the shares. Then I watched the pennies tick up and down and was freaking out about whether or not I had <laughs> bought it at the right time. And then I like didn't know what to do about the company. So I was looking up information. And then I suddenly realized that I knew nothing about this company. I should have never bought into it. And then I was like, no, I'm amazing at this. It's going to be fine. I mean, every possible emotion around this small thing of buying a company, except that it's not a small thing at all, because this is my money and this is my future. And so yeah. practicing that is so important when we're at some point here going to go through a market crash and going to go through another recession. So we've got to be ready as investors to handle that stuff emotionally. And that's the practice. Well, I, I love that you come back to that word practice, because I think um, to build the emotional hardiness, to learn how to withstand the highs and lows of not only our lives, but certainly our, our, our financial health is, is extremely important. I know that this is the life lesson that I had been taught as coming through this past recession. And my kids learned by proxy. You know, they went from having an extremely abundant life to suddenly there was a real crisis in our family, real fiscal crisis. Yeah, it's so true for everybody. I mean, I think we all were touched in some way by that recession. 
And it came as a shock to us. It came because of the financial people doing something that most of us knew nothing about. And even people in their industry had no clue that they were doing. So that could happen again. And the way that we handle that emotionally and by buying great companies that we're going to stick with, that's what's going to get us through. Well, the book is a great read. It's a lot of fun. Um, Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind, My Emotions, and My Money with a Little Help from My Dad. I've been speaking with my wonderful guest today, Danielle Town, who co-wrote this book with her dad, Phil Town. They've got a podcast that I want to give a great shout out to. Um, Danielle, how and where can people access the podcast? It's called Invested, the rule number one podcast. It's everywhere you get podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or you can go to investedpodcast.com and play it right from there. And you can find out more about the book Invested um, on daniellettown.com. And uh, it's on Amazon. It's in your local independent bookstores. We're a New York Times bestseller and an indie bookstore bestseller. This week, so that's really exciting. Really yeah. exciting. And to connect with Danielle, you can do so on Twitter at Danielle underscore town. And on Facebook, your page is Danielle Town Invested. You have been a delight. Exactly. You, you have a, approached this uh, with such a fresh perspective and a lighthearted, really caring perspective. And I want to say for those of us out there who are financially phobic about investment, um, get this book because you might you might might change your mind and rock your world and get you interested in investing in a a little bit different way, in a more mindful way. Yeah, I think it's going to change a lot of minds, and I think we need it. We are the people who are going to change this market and change our lives. So thank you very much, Lisa. We're going to take a quick pause, and we'll be right back. That is a guarantee. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. And we're back talking about what it takes to get fiscally fit, how to manage your money, and strategically invest it. My next guest is Ramit Sethi. This interview originally aired in August of 2020. My guest today is Ramit Sethi. He is the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich, the second edition, No Guilt, No Excuses, No BS, just a six-week program that works. And Thanks for coming on the show, Ramit. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the, the humor and the no-nonsense of this. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, it's great having you. Ramit Sethi writes about money, business, and psychology. At Stanford, he studied technology and psychology. He grew up in Sacramento, the son of Indian immigrant parents from whom he learned the art of negotiating. His understanding of human behavior and money led him to create innovative solutions in self-development. That's what we're talking about. Let, let's, let's jump in. Let's, let's go to um, your idea for this book, The Psychological Effects of How Finances Affect Relationships. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the reason that I wrote the book was when I was in my early 20s, I heard a lot of advice from a lot of personal finance people, and they almost always tell you the same thing. They tell you, don't spend money on lattes, don't buy jeans, don't go on vacation. It's a lot of what you can't do with money. 
And I looked around at my friends and we all said, we don't want to live like that. We want to go out. We want to buy a round of drinks for our friends. We want to take a nice vacation and not feel guilty about it. And in fact, I've come to recommend to people that you should buy all the lattes you want because saving $3 a day is not what's going to get you from where you are to living a rich life. That's actually not that much money when you actually add it up. What it turns out is there are a few big wins, about five to 10. And if you get those right in life, you never have to worry about buying appetizers or desserts or lattes. And I wanted to incorporate psychology with money. So that's what originally got me started writing about this. And, you know, there is so much psychology in money because we're really not talking about the money, right? We're talking about some power around abundance versus scarcity or scarcity versus abundance. Yes. In fact, if you ask people, what are the first words that come to mind when you think about money? You know what they say? No. They'll say guilt, shame, embarrassment, anxiety, nervousness, and sometimes is it too late? Now, those are not positive words. No. Yeah. And and when you ask people, what is your rich life, which I ask frequently, uh, usually you get one of three answers. The first is... uh, I want to pay off my debt. And I say to myself, it's no surprise that you're not yet living a rich life because what a dim dream. If your dream is simply to pay off your debt, nobody gets up in the morning excited about that. That's number one. Number two is the word freedom. Oh, I want freedom. I say, okay, what is it? What is freedom to you? Oh, I want to go where I want to go, when I want to go, do what I want to do. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? They have never thought about it. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I want to do. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And then the third, the third one is just a number, a million dollars. But of course, if I ask them what they want to do with that, they haven't thought about that. So I want to challenge people to really think about their rich life. And in fact, maybe I'll just ask you, what is your rich life? Oh, my rich life. I'm living my rich life. I am doing work that I absolutely love that provides value to people and brings me great joy as I do it. Love it. Wow. Crisp. I'm a gazillionaire. (laughs) Yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, actually. Okay, mine when I was uh, earlier in my career was to be able to go out and order appetizers at a restaurant. Simple as that, because I never got to do that when I was a kid. And then uh, I grew up a little bit and I said, you know, my rich life now is to be able to take a taxi in a hot New York summer instead of going to a meeting sweating from the subway. Simple, $10, 15 bucks maybe. Now, my rich life is bigger. My dreams got bigger. You know, it's funny. People say money changes people. Of course it changes people. It should change people. It should make you dream bigger than you dreamed before. And now my rich life is more expansive. And that's what I would challenge everyone. Notice how specific I was. Appetizers. Yeah. Or a taxi. That's what I want everyone to get to. And sometimes it might be expensive, Sometimes it might be 10 bucks. The amount is not the important part. It's that it's rich to you. Yeah. You know, I do hear what you're saying. And I think what's interesting is when we start to look at money as an energy or a a power tool, right? And what we do with those power tools when we get them, maybe there is part of the discovery. And when we're not so afraid of the power in those tools, we have more of it. I I definitely agree that money is more than just the numbers for sure. And in, I will tell you that I made the mistake earlier on of just thinking that money was about getting the right math. And Mm. of course money is math, of course, but I could give you the perfect 
place to invest your money, the perfect automation system so your money just works where it needs to go. But if you were raised in a family where perhaps your parents said, we don't talk about money or easy come, easy go, or money doesn't grow on trees, I can give you the perfect tactic and it's not going to work until you master your own money psychology. Uh, I, I love this. Give us some tips more tips about the money psychology, because people who are listening saying, well, you know, yeah, I'd always I'd always like to have more money. You know, the Gallup mm -hmm. polls that have, you know, uh, been run for the last several years when they go around the world and they talk about subjective well-being and the relationship with money. Money never comes up as number one, but everybody always says, I'd like to have a little bit more. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting when you talk to people starting in their 40s and you ask them, what's your number one concern? They will almost always say money. And you even hear now people extremely frustrated about money. In fact, they'll point at systemic problems, inequality, and um, all student loan debt. All of those things are true. Yes. But the vast majority of people have never spent one weekend reading a good book about money. Not one. And so here you are sitting around. I know some of my readers, they sit around on Twitter complaining. Oh, can't get ahead. Must be nice to be able to save 100 or 200 bucks or 500, however much per month, I can't even save 50. Really, when was the last time you checked out a book from the library and read it? And that's where people are not getting real with themselves. If money is the number one issue, the number one concern that people have in their 40s and beyond, then doesn't it make sense to take four to six hours to read a book? If you do that, you can take complete control of your money. And yes, maybe you didn't start until your 50s. Okay, it's going to be a little tougher, but you can still do it. If you're starting in your 20s, you have massive time or 30s. But the point is, we need to take some responsibility because nobody's going to do it for us. I just want to remind our listeners that this book was written more than a decade ago. This is the second edition. So this stuff is working. You wouldn't have put out another edition with, with new and improved information included if this um, methodology didn't work. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you said that. and I appreciate that. Uh, the book went to number four on all of Amazon shortly after launching this time around. And um, I want to I tell you what happened when I launched the book in 2009. So I wrote the book. March 2009 was the absolute bottom of the recession. Yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. I went on book tour and I went to all these different cities. I spoke to all these different local newscasters and they looked at me like I was crazy. They said, why are you talking about investing? We have 10% unemployment. Nobody wants to hear about investing. And what they really wanted me to do was to give some random tips on saving money on laundry detergent so that viewers could feel good about themselves for two minutes and then go back to doing what they've always done. And I refused. I said, look, I'm going to talk about investing. I will talk about saving, but there are a lot of people who know that the economy will recover. And if they had followed the advice in the book in March 2009, they are now set for life. So I want to encourage people, don't think that, you know, we're in a recession or we might be going into a recession. That's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, am I automatically saving and investing money every single month? Now, under that, you might say, well, I don't know how to save money. I already cut to the bone or I don't know where to invest. It feels like gambling. And we can talk about all those things. But the way to get rich is not to... Uh, wait until it somehow magically happens or win the lottery or insurance settlement. It's to start investing even 50 or or $100 a month. That's how, that's how you do it.
And, and I want to talk more about that because there are there are some interesting ways to do that. You talk about the value of health savings accounts, HSAs, as investment vehicles. Yes. A lot of times when people hear that they should start investing, they see all these words swirling around, 401k, annuities, Roth IRAs, etc. So what I did was I created a very simple framework for where to invest your money. And if you think about watching a movie, We've all seen a movie where they're at a cocktail party and the waiter pours into the top champagne glass and once it's full, it flows into the next champagne glasses Mm -hmm. and on and on. That's the same. I have something called a ladder of personal finance. And what you do is you take your first hundred bucks and you invest it in this account. And once you've filled up that account, you just go to the next account. Super logical, super easy. It will tell you exactly where to put your money, including an HSA. Well, I am going to, I'm going to actually buy new copies of this book for my kids because I think what a great thing to give uh, a college kid. Oh, they will love it. And I speak to them and, you know, whether you're uh, in college or now I've got readers uh, who are in their forties and fifties and there's a way to talk to people as you can hear me right now, a way that doesn't start with depriving you of your money and also telling you all the things you're not allowed to do. I actually tell people, take the thing you love and let me show you how to double your spending on it. I call it a money dial. We've all got one. For some people, it's restaurants. For some people, it's uh, travel. For me, it's convenience. I love my life to be convenient. I spend a ton of money on that. I want to start from a place of saying yes, instead of telling people no with their money. Yeah. We're going to take a break in a moment. When we come back, I would love for you to share some real life examples. You speak about um, maximizing your credit card points and you've got some amazing real life reader stories. I'd love for you to share some of those and also stories of some of the readers who whose lives have been changed by your book. I will teach you to be rich. We're talking about the second edition. No guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. My guest today is Ramit Sethi. To learn more about his work, please visit www.iwillteachyoutoberich.com. On Twitter, at Ramit. On Facebook, he is at IWT. And on Instagram, he loves Instagram. It's also (laughs) at Ramit. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. conversation with Ramit Sethi. This episode originally aired in August of 2020. We're talking about what it takes to get fiscally fit, managing your money and strategically investing. Let's get back to it. 
I'm talking with Ramit Sethi. He is the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich, and this is the second edition of this book. No guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. And when I first saw the title of this book, I'm like, Oh, geez, what a snake oil like <laughs> sounding title. And we don't do snake oil on this show. And then, you know, when I go a little bit deeper beyond that, and we're talking about what it means to be rich, Ramit, this is this is the secret sauce. This is the juice. Well, thank you very much. And I have to admit that I don't know that I would have named this book. I will teach you to be rich today. I chose it when I was in college and I know it's got its connotations. I mean, I think we should all be upfront about that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason that when you go to my site, you see me mentioning New York Times bestselling author and Stanford graduate. And the reason that we have over 40,000 customers for different courses we've created. And the reason is that while the name does sound a little crazy, we actually went above and beyond in the other direction. I hate get rich quick stuff. I hate when people say, oh, you can make a million dollars in a year. No, you can't. It's impossible. You need to do the work. It's not simply about affirmations. You need to show up every day. You need to be disciplined. You need to build systems. Yeah. And in fact, I'll tell you one thing we do in our business is if any, we tell people who try to join our flagship programs, these are our very high-end expensive programs. If you have credit card debt, do not join. Use my free chapter to pay it off. And if you join anyway and we find out, we will refund you and we will ban you for life. So wow. we're really serious. It costs us millions of dollars to make that decision but I don't want people's money if they have not used the basics to pay off their debt. It's only when you start to look forward and say, hey, I've got a plan to pay off debt. Now I've paid it off. Now I'm ready to invest for growth. That's when we want you to join us in our flagship programs. So what I'm hearing you say is that there is this underlying integrity about the work that you do, as amusing as the title is, you know, and you probably should do a T-shirt with like a bottle. You know, with this, <laughs> so it's like, you know, bottle, play, a little kitschy thing. But you're really, there is a, a high level of integrity in how you're approaching this work. A hundred percent. And that's why we've been around for, you know, over 15 years. And that's why people continue to write about us in the New York Times and places like that. So let's let's talk about some of these stories. One of the things that you write about is the maximization of credit card points. I love American <laughs> Express travel points. In fact, I'm going to Europe in this summer with my points. I'm so happy. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Tell, tell so, us. Okay. Here's the general rules that people give you with credit cards. You'll hear a lot of people out there saying, don't use credit cards at all. I don't believe that. I believe you should use them wisely. I want to show you how to beat the credit cards at their own game. And I want to show you how to benefit from it. Free trips, free flights, free hotel upgrades, free purchase protection. People don't even know this exists. But just to give you an example, I bought a laptop a few years ago. I accidentally spilled a cup of coffee into the keyboard. The credit card turned around and wrote me a check. So yep. many people have no idea about these perks. Now, I do want to have a huge disclaimer here, which is that a lot of people overspend on credit cards. If you've got credit card debt, you should use the plan in the book to pay it off. And a simple way to know that is if you've got debt, whether it's student loan or credit card or any other kind, I should be able to ask you, what is your debt payoff date? And you should be able to tell me the exact month and year it will be paid off. If you don't know that, then you don't know your debt. If you do and you're good, you're debt-free, you're using a credit card, two types of big rewards you can get. One is travel, one is cash back. I like cash back just because it's simple. 
They're great cards. They're 2% back, sometimes even 3% cash back. Wow. And I, they're very simple and straightforward. I don't like the cards where you got to do 5% for your groceries, 3% for your parking. One, I don't like that. I don't want 50 cards to think about every day. I pick one, maybe two, and I'm good to go. Travel, there's some great cards out there. Some of them have an annual fee, so you need to run the numbers to see if it's worth it. But either of those are great. And basically, if you're spending money, you might as well get rewarded for it. Agreed. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of the stories of your readers whose lives have been changed by the first edition. Yeah, I mean, this is my favorite thing. In fact, in the first page or two, one of my proudest moments in this book is that I incorporated the photos and stories of a lot of readers. And they're talking about how they use this book to create their rich lives. And it's it makes me very proud when you look at these photos because there's men and women and different ages and different ethnicities. And it shows how diverse a rich life really can be. For example, one guy in the right in the front, he says, I use this book. My wife and I retired at 35 and 36 and we drive around the country in an RV. Wow. Now that is interesting. <laughs> and I have to say, it's not really my rich life. I live in Manhattan in a high rise, but I love that he and his wife consciously decided what their rich life was and they used the book to get it. So you see these stories all throughout the book and some of them decided to pay off $75,000 of debt. Other people decided they're gonna travel for six weeks a year and all of them, no matter what their rich life was, used the book to get it. Any comeback kid stories? Oh, tons. I mean, look, most people, <laughs> when you think about money, I meet a lot of people who have never really learned about money. Never. They, if anything, they heard a few phrases from their mom and dad who didn't know much about money themselves. And they grew up, they accumulated some debt, and maybe they're 40 and they decide, oh man, I better do something about this. Maybe I have kids. And so if they have a program and if they have a plan, it's actually amazing how fast you can turn yourself around. I've got people in the book who paid off tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt Tens of thousands. Think about that. They went for probably 20 years of their adult life thinking this is just normal. Everybody's got debt. Uh, I'll never get out from under it. I'll die with this debt. These are common phrases that people. Yes. Yes. I hear that and, a lot, actually. Yep. Yep. And, and they've become normalized to it. And yet when they read this book, they start to say, oh, my God, there's a whole group of people out there who paid off their debt, who got out and who actually got forward looking enough to start thinking about growing. And this is like a magical moment for people. In fact, there's a whole section I call the magical moment where people realized they could pay their debt off. And that moment, they actually share exactly what they experienced at that moment is truly magical. Talk about power like and feeling empowered when you are able, when one is able to achieve your financial goals, it is, it does feel like liberation. That does feel like freedom. It feels like freedom. I mean, one thing that uh, people who are in debt write me in and tell me is every day they wake up and it's just a battle every single day. They feel this huge weight around their shoulders. They know that they're in debt, but they don't want to open up the bills or the emails that tell them how much. Interestingly, over 90% of people who are in debt don't know how much debt they owe, which is fascinating, but totally understandable. And when they make a plan, first of all, when they make a plan, they just feel amazing because you know that okay, it's, it's not magic, it's math. It's just going to take time to pay this off, but all the pieces are in place. And then once they actually pay it off, 
And once they start to see how their money can not just sit in a savings account, but actually grow, suddenly it is truly incredible because they realize, oh my God, I can change my financial situation. If I want to have $10,000 or $100,000 in the bank, in my investment account, I can do that. I can literally plug in the math and they understand, they take control. Also, interestingly, you'll find that a lot of people who take control of their finances start to take control of their fitness. It's very common, (laughs) very common. I I have a ton of people who made a lot of money and then got really fit. Why? Because the same principles apply. Everybody else is playing these gimmicky games. They're doing these random cleanses and these random weird investments. But when you learn about simple, low-cost, long-term investing, you start to realize, oh, there's no gimmicks, there's no tricks, and I can do the same thing with my fitness. Show up every day, watch what I eat, exercise, feel great, simple as that. I just opened uh, up to a page, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, the second edition, and it it made me smile, and I really had to control bursting out laughing. (laughs) I'm not going to name the bank, because they might come after me, and I'm just like a little person here, but... It, it, it blank, blank, blank. One of the world's banks. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I don't want to get you in trouble, so I won't say it. Yes. But I name names in this book and I name the best accounts, the exact accounts that I use for my checking, savings, investment accounts, apps, everything. And I also name the worst accounts, the ones to avoid, the ones that are predatory and the ones that you should just steer clear of. Nobody else does this. No. I think a lot of people, they want to cut a deal with the bank, but I don't care. I want to tell you what's the best account. I want to tell you the exact words to use, word for word, when you call these banks up or credit cards and you get your late fees waived. I even show you the exact words to negotiate a five, ten, or $15,000 raise. That's in chapter nine. What I really want to push for here is being specific. I think you and I are, everyone's tired of generic general advice. I don't need that. Tell me the exact numbers. Tell me the exact accounts. And if you trust me and you trust what you're hearing right now and you go through the book, then you're going to see, man, this is this is going to get me from just reading to actually taking action. Well, I mean, you've got me convinced to go on the Ramit Sethi diet. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to get my kids on it. And I oh, love it. And, I, you know, I've got a, a, a son who's almost 20 and a daughter who's about to graduate from college. What a great gift for each of them. Um, to, to set them on this trajectory because, you know, in my family, and I talk about this from time to time on the show, we, during that recession, there were losses. We lost everything. I hear I was functionally homeless with, with, with two kids on my own. I got busy. There was no time or space for a pity party and it all turned out for the best, but you know, things happen. Yes. They will always happen, right? Life is going to throw something at us one way or another. And that's a given. We know that. What we can do is we can plan before we need to. That's one of the key distinctions between the rich and everyone else. The rich prepare before they need to. And then we can exercise the muscle of resilience. Life's going to knock us down, whether it be with relationships or money or something. It's a given. So what are we going to do when it happens? And if you have the right systems, if you've been automatically investing and saving every day, and even if you haven't, you can start today, suddenly when that thing happens, you are in such a better position to look forward and to recover and to start growing again. And I have to say the process that you teach is fun. Thank you. Money is fun. It is fun. Money <laughs> is, is I mean, fun. We're, you and I are having a blast right now. This is fun. We yeah. get to talk about traveling and upgrading our hotels and 
you know, bring like when my wife and I got married, we took a six week honeymoon across the world and we brought our parents with us to Italy. And we started in Italy before we went on to safari and all these places that was part, it was part money, but it was also part imagination, the imagination of what is our rich life. And we wanted to create this magical experience with both of our parents like that. That means you got to have your money in order. And then you also need to be imaginative, need to ask yourself, what is our rich life and how can we use money in part to get it? That's why I think this is one of the most fun topics on the planet to talk about. Well, I like what we can do with money. You know, like when you think about all the things that you can do with it in terms of the memories that you can create, the people that you can help, the um, and you do write a lot about giving back and philanthropy. So we should yes. probably pause there for a second and let yeah. you extol the virtues of such. Well, I, I just want to say that I think for each person, a rich life is different. And your rich life could be buying a beautiful, beautiful jacket. And there's no shame in that. It's not shallow. I think it's amazing. Or you want to uh, hire a personal trainer or pay someone to do whatever. Okay, take your kids, go to Disneyland, get the VIP thing. Fine. I also think that I want to encourage people, once you've got the basics dialed in with your money, you're going to start to realize that instead of living this check-to-check, scarcity-based mentality, you actually have more than you ever thought possible. That's what's happened to me. And you go from, oh, how am I going to pay these bills to, oh, I already achieved all my financial goals. What's next? It's not a pipe dream. You can read all the people in the book who did it. And then I, one thing I just want to plant in people's mind is you can start to think bigger, start thinking about giving back. And whether it's time or money or both, I think it's one of the best things that I've ever done. Yeah, me too. It makes, it makes me the most happy is the, is that giving back. I also want to say before we end that, um, Fortune Magazine calls you the new finance guru. I mean, this is no BS, I have to say. You know, I mean, the title aside, which we can have a good laugh about, the the, the <laughs> technology and the system is there, and it is no BS. It's no nonsense, and it, and it works. And I thank you so much. Come and hang out with me again. Let's talk about money and happiness again. It's my pleasure. I would love to. Thank you so much. And for the opportunity to share this with your listeners, it means a lot. Oh, well, right back at you. I've been talking with Ramit Sethi. The book is I Will Teach You to Be Rich, the second edition. No guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. To learn more about him, his work, please visit www.iwillteachyoutoberich.com. On Twitter at Ramit and on Facebook, IWT, and on Instagram, a favorite of Ramit. He's also at Ramit. Ramit, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your generosity to hang out. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Phil Town, Danielle Town, and Ramit Sethi, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember... Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to each other. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio. 
kbuuradiomalibu.net and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.